Hello, welcome to We Walk the Earth podcast. I'm your host, Sergio Isauro. This show is the joint effort of many talented and dedicated creatives. We love what we do, and we love sharing it with you. If you want to support us, please rate the show and leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify or subscribe to the show in your favorite listening platform. These small actions require very little time and go a long way in helping us reach a wider audience. Today's guest is Jessica Rita, a dear friend, whose family holds a very special place in my heart. She was raised in Canada in the mountains of British Columbia, on the traditional land of the Sinex and Ktunatsa people with horses for best friends and a deep connection with the nature around her. She directed her love for psychology, mythology, mystery and the wild into developing a counseling practice focused on supporting the courageous and soul-centric longings that we all hold inside. With a master's in counseling psychology and an undergrad in social work, Jessica acts to dismantle barriers thriving outside of the status quo. She is currently registered as a clinical counselor and is an EMDR practitioner, which facilitates accessing and processing traumatic memories and other adverse life experiences to later bring them to an adaptive resolution. Please, Let's welcome to the show, Jessica Rita. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for joining us. For your time thank um, you for having me here yeah it's a pleasure i'm really curious about your practice we've been talking about it very like a little bit but i'm really curious about the journey that brought you to this place and also yesterday we were talking about you reopening your time to support people through your practice. Mm-hmm. Way. The journey, yeah, it's it's been a huge evolution in my life. And I think it starts from an early age. And I know we were talking last night about both being only children. Yes. And so my siblings were the mountains and my horses and the wild. And I have always had this soul longing for this deep earth-based wisdom. But being a white woman in, in a settler place, I never really had language or articulation for what my heart and my soul were wanting. Um, 
So I think many instances throughout my life where I kept going down different paths and the universe kind of kicking my butt back onto alignment with what I truly wanted deep down led me into wanting to go into therapy. And I've always held the power of animal wisdom of horses. I grew up riding horses and they've, I mean, not to be dramatic, but I think they saved my life for sure. And so bringing in the beauty of the wild into my healing practice has been one of the foundational cores. Um, So I've gone down a few different healing modalities and I'm starting to really find my place and in my offering and the medicine that I want to bring. And that's founded in this really cool training and ethos called Wild Mind through the Animus Valley Institute in it's in Colorado. And so I can speak more to that, but and then I do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing which is a really cool trauma-based practice for... I mean, they say it helps with single-event traumas, but I would argue that there's pretty cool creative ways to use it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then um, clinical hypnotherapy is another Mm -hmm. practice that I use. And I'm just starting to train in an emotion-focused family therapy. So it's a big... If you step back and look at it, it's a... There's a lot going on for sure, but I'm finally finding ways to really integrate them together. It's interesting when you have interest in all these things, you know, and part of me wonders, is it a bit of, um, I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but this sense of always wanting to become something, which I think is so quintessential of our Western construct is to Mm -hmm. always be reaching for the next thing. Um, so maybe it's a bit of that, but I think it's also these interests have landed me in this really cool place. And now I'm starting to see cohesion between them. Hmm. Um, and yes, opening my books, which has hmm. felt really good because I just came off of maternity leave. So being hmm. able to step back into uh, a professional role alongside being a new mom hmm. is really it's big. beautiful. Yeah. And hard. And hard. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to discount it for sure. Mm. It's, yes, it's mm. hard yeah. <laughs> and beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I love how you said about the, how do you call it? The wild. The wild mind. The training? wild mind. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah it's eco psychology in its essence, but okay. I struggle with that term because it really is indigenous wisdom and earth-based wisdom and I think um, we can slap psychology on the end of it but really it's founded in these ancient ways of knowing and I think it's really important to honor that because we have colonized a lot of the wellness industry Hmm. and that is a struggle for me so I really want to like put it out there that I think it's important to honor that these ways of knowing have long been before the profession of psychology and and therapy yeah um yeah there's some some kind of healing that is very ego oriented no and very individualistic but knowledge that's in the elders in native people in the earth in watching nature 
Yeah. That's already there. No, in your last blog post, you talk about the. Um, can I read it out? Yeah. I, I love that. You were talking about the world you want Levi, your son, yeah. to grow in. Yeah. And this is, this is so beautiful. The world I want him to know is full of life, life of all kinds. And I want him to know those lives. I want him to know the magic of cedar and the wisdom of the dry creek bed. I want him to ask the forest for advice and listen, not just with his ears. Truly listen with his heart to the bees as they move from one flower to the next, continuing the life-death cycle through pollination. I want him to learn about the importance of reciprocal relationships, like the communication between the network of mycelia and the old growth tree giants. I hope he remains curious of the cycles that make us feel alive and the ones that call us to rest, just like the spring, summer, fall, winter, seasonal changes. Mm. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I just teared up listening to you say it out loud. <laughs> um, It's so beautiful, Jess. Yeah, and you know, it, it really sparks something in me thinking about the trajectory that we're on right mm. now and and brings me back to the the foundation of why I got into the healing practice is because I really see a lot of our illnesses mental and physical spiritual emotional being because we're so dislocated from the earth mm. it's so sad mm. and our industrial culture Um, has really, the overculture has prevented us from tapping into these deep soul longings that we have. Innately, we are all from an earth-based culture at some point in time in our lives. So we have mm. this blueprint in us. And I just really, really deeply believe that our illnesses are because we are not honoring these parts of us that are connected to the earth, mm. which goes back to the wild mind training. Mm. Um, so finding this training, this way of working with people really gave me words that um, I was looking for and didn't have an articulation of how I wanted to work with people. And it was founded by Bill Plotkin Who's this super cool individual that has brought vision fast to Western culture? And there's a whole other like caveat around they are doing their work mm -hmm. um, to be less colonizing of indigenous practices. They've mm -hmm. brought on a on a task force for yeah. cultural agility. It was really profound for me to find this mm. because I don't think we have these elders in our culture that yeah. teach us these things that we have deeply inside of us and that yeah. could really use a key to unlock yeah. a few doors. Yeah. Yes, there's a, a big separation like in the individualistic journey we buy into. We start separating from nature from elders from knowledge and it's really hard to see i've also felt this a little bit you know like felt that i don't have much information about my great great grandparents and 
and not that I need like facts, but knowledge and wisdom travels through generations. That's how humans have gotten to this point. But now, yes, genetically it's in my DNA, my, my great great grandparents, they're like with me, but I don't know what they did, what kind of ceremonies they did, what places they walked, which natural landscape were, were they connecting with. It's, and it, it's hard to feel rooted mm-hmm. and to heal from the roots if you can't see them. Yeah. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. And I don't know if there are many true adults in our culture, <laughs> to be honest, you know, we're like a bunch, I, of, kids we're a bunch of kids running around, like very focused on the self and how other people perceive us. I think once we're able mm. to step into a true generative place where we can I mean, we're never going to fully let go of the ego, let's be honest. But to step into a place where our motivation is less about the self and more about what's greater than us, Mm. like our greater community, which includes the earth and the more than humans. And I Mm. think often we forget that. We are so Mm. focused on our human community and we leave out the more than humans. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I really, I hear you and I really wish that there were more elders that we could go to and learn from. And yeah, I, I keep coming back to the word dislocated. It really mm-hmm. does feel like, you know, yeah. my shoulder's out of place or something like mm-hmm. that. Like something is truly missing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, it's sometimes hard because we're used to wanting things fast. And this is, this is like something that requires presence and that we might not see in our lifetime. Mm. Um, because it has been dislocated for many, many generations, like slowly. And now it's going to take some generations. And I, I don't know, I don't remember who told me this, but this analogy of like building a temple that you will not see completed, mm. but you're building it with like the faith that there's going to be someone uh, in the future that's going to keep on building it. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be completed. Or maybe it's not even going to, I don't know. Yeah. It's always going to, but just the building of the temple is the, what brings us there. Right. Um, yeah. It, for one part, I do feel dislocated, like you said, from wisdom and, and some practices. I, I've, I think in my journey, I've had to, really intentionally discover and try different things to kind of make my own practices, ceremonies, communities. But I like that there's 
there is a lot of elders and wise people that are open mm-hmm. to receiving. They're not looking at people with the lens of separation and are always happy to embrace new people in certain paths. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. Everything is there. All the cultures, all the books, all the wisdom. Mm-hmm. We just need to dig into it. Yes. Yeah. And so much is also held with these elders through just stories and yeah. not written down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And yeah, just spending time in the presence of these people, like you say, mm. is just such a gift. Yeah. And in I, everyday life, no. In everyday life. Yeah. And yeah, I guess my, I just wish there were, there was more prevalence. Of mm, it. Yeah. And perhaps an easier, no, I don't want to say easier, perhaps um, personal healing leading to the curiosity to reach out and look for those elders and look yeah. for the books and mm-hmm. look for that wisdom. Yeah. I don't know if we have a platform or like an easy foundation to want to do that because we're just trying to survive in this weird world that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see like your practice uh, parallel to your journey of getting to know yourself? I don't want to say healing because I don't want to assume you're healing in a way, but it feels like helping other people connect with themselves and with the wild around them probably also made you walk that path for yourself. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of really beautiful, magical experiences in my life being in nature and, and, um, especially as a kid, Hmm. you know, we're so much more open to the universe's magic. I have to roll my eyes when I say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember going riding in the mountains and finding this meadow. And there was this like gorgeous willow tree in the middle of nowhere. And willows often are around a water source. They're almost always. And it almost like sparkled. Um, and... I left that day from that meadow and I could never find it again, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. yeah. And I remember... I goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And at a certain point in time in my life, I cut out these magical experiences that mm. I had mm. and, you know, went down the path of like trying to be cool and partying and in mm. an unhealthy way. I'm really shoving down this magical part of me. Mm. Um, This part of me that was open and excited about these experiences that are just within our grasp and are often accessed through ceremony and ritual. And um, yeah, I think I, I ended up in a really unhealthy place for a while and my early 20s experimenting but experimenting without guidance 
you know, just doing it on your own as a lot of people do. And some people speak to that time as the soul wanting an initiation of some kind, mm. putting themselves in dangerous positions. I think that's yeah. what a lot of midlife crises like is about. Of passage. Yeah. yeah. Like and trying to force them. Trying to force a rites of passage. Yeah. And non-consciously. Non-consciously. And a lot of people end up in dangerous situations and potentially ending up going through a, a personally um, initiated rites of passage. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of what I did to myself in some way, because I definitely got smacked with reality a few times where I was like, yeah, this if I keep going down this path, it's not going to end up well. Um, and oddly enough, I was working for the police mm-hmm. in Canada and I just kept seeing the detriment that this was doing to people, the criminal charges. It was my job to be a court liaison. Mm. And so I was submitting charges to the courts and doing the administration work back and forth. And, um, I just kept seeing the same names coming up Mm. again and again and again. It was like a revolving door. And often people who were impoverished and couldn't pay the fines and so needed to do jail time. And it was just this awful cycle that I witnessed. And I said to myself that I needed to be on the other side of this. So I ended up Mm. going back to school uh, for social work. And I always talk about that undergrad as my most expensive self-help course because <laughs> it really did bring to light some some things that brought to light the patriarchal systems and the colonized structures that we have in place that just keep people oppressed mm. and that was yeah I think that was part of the beginning of my healing journey Um, that coincided with going into this profession. I think many people identify with the uh, wounded healer when Mm. they get into the profession of healing. And it continued from there. And then I, I decided to go on into my master's and become a a therapist. Um, And it was along that time that I stumbled into Well, I think it was Burning Man culture, actually, and the Mm. festival culture that once I started to have a healthier relationship with partying, I met all these beautiful people that were doing things more intentionally. Mm. And that led me into finding the the Animus Valley Institute and Mm. learning about EMDR, doing EMDR myself. Um, And then... Eventually opening myself back up to the magic that is available to us at any Mm. given time. And then the mystery Mm. that uh, holds so much wisdom. Mm. Nice. Was there like a point that you remember where you felt ready to facilitate this for other people Mm -hmm. along the way? Yeah. I think so. I'm still, I still struggle with imposter syndrome. I mm. think a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and some days I'm like, yeah, 
I've got this medicine to bring to the world 1000%. And other days I'm like, who the hell do I think I am? <laughs> like, there's no way. Um, it's continuing as a journey, but I do remember being on the land one time and um, spending some time rattling to get into a, into a trance state. Yeah. And I was walking, it was dark. And I was walking back to my camp and I heard a rustling in the bushes over my right shoulder and mm. I turned around and this coyote rushed me. Mm. It was this white coyote and it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> But then it disappeared. It disappeared mm. into my body. And it was a vision that I had had through being in this trance state. So I've been working with coyote medicine since then, this very interesting trickster. And through that experience and through those messages that I've received, I have come to really reckon with having a voice, which I think is something as a woman can be a, a really difficult thing. And also the power of being able to offer medicine to other people. It's a truncated version of many messages and times I've spent reckoning with this medicine. But that was definitely, I think, the turning point where I was like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I forgot that we have access to this beautiful wisdom and we are essentially the hollow bones through which God flows. Yeah. And I think it's a great disservice to not be a container for people mm. if we're open to helping people on their path. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think imposter syndrome, I experienced it with my art also with some readings and therapies I've been giving. It's easier to deal with the imposter syndrome when you step back and realize you're not doing the work. You're only there to point people in the right direction. Mm. And then it's like, I think it's, it's an ego thing we have that it's very it's very hard to shake off, you know, like it, I'm, it's me doing this right. for the world. And it's hard. It's also needed because we need that identity and recognition. I was talking about this with some friends about learning how to receive healthily praise, recognition, a thank you. It's tricky to balance it correctly. Mm. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was mentioning this earlier around my nerves for coming on the podcast and how I sometimes can't find the words to articulate things. And I often feel things in my body and feel the, the spark and the energy around something. And that really resonates with me. I just can't find the words to describe what it is that's sparking inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um. But the receiving, yeah, I mean, I think we're so shut down in so many ways Mm. that receiving is hard. Yeah. Feeling Mm. love 
I mean, feeling love for yourself, Mm. let alone from other people, it can be one of life's greatest challenges. Yeah. And a simple thank you can be like, oh my God, what? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like... (laughs) Don't say that. So weird. It's very common that we feel we don't deserve love and appreciation. It's Mm. super common. I'm... I wouldn't say struggling, but I'm, it's a thing that I'm working with constantly, you know, like, first of all, self-love, like you just mentioned, like I deserve to think good things about me, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. Like we are very, Sometimes on the heavy side of reality Mm. with ourselves. Um, But it's nice when we start to unlock these things and shake them off. And when people really, really come and thank you for whatever, for a cup of tea or for a big thing or whatever, it's, it's scary, but it feels nice to let that energy flow, no? Like Mm. to let the circle uh, close. Mm-hmm. Um, or continue. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The, the people that approach you in your practice, do you see like a common thing they are looking for? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, so right now EMDR is super hot. It's mm-hmm. like the therapy. Mm-hmm. It stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. It's a mouthful, you know, yeah. and, and it doesn't translate to layman's terms very well. But the World Health Organization is promoting it. It's really good for working with PTSD. It essentially recreates the REM sleep cycle. Okay. So you're using bilateral eye movements. Well, I use a headset that has sounds that oscillate back and forth. Mm. And also these paddles that you hold in your hands and they buzz back and forth side to side. And it syncs with the headset. So you mm. can actually close your eyes. You don't need to do the eye movements and I find that way really allows you to deepen into the experience the cool thing is you don't need to talk it's not talk therapy for a lot of people who can't articulate their experience or don't want to articulate their experience they don't need to the healing can still happen so I find that a lot of people are coming to me for that right now um, because it really works they don't actually know why or how fully yet, which is causing a bit of an uproar has previously, but they do see that it works. So Mm. I've had a pretty psychedelic experience doing it myself. And that's actually Mm -hmm. what made me want to train in it. It was the closest thing to doing plant medicine that I've ever experienced with just a headset and these vibrating paddles that you hold in your hand. So do you consciously go into certain topics or you just sit there and let the subconscious do its thing? I mean, yes and no, but you do target like, so we could say, we could speak to the difficulty of receiving love Mm. and what's underneath of that is I'm unlovable, which would be our, our most deep negative cognition about ourselves. And so we would take that as a target and hold 
a memory that you have around feeling unloved and really embody that. Bring yourself into that depth of that I am unlovable. And then we move from there with the EMDR. And the things that come up are wild. You can jump from that memory that you're having where you felt the depths of being unloved or unlovable to a childhood experience that you actually couldn't remember, you had no memory of, and all of a sudden it it will pop up. And so you're helping the brain to reprocess this information that's been lodged due to trauma or what we perceive as a, as a traumatic experience or a dysregulating experience. Um, and it, it moves so beautifully, but you bounce around to some really weird places that the brain is connected to this negative cognition of I am unlovable. And you'd be really surprised as to what comes up. And You know, I've had people say that, for one example, there's somebody who had an experience in their day-to-day that brought shame onto themselves. And they were so jarred by this feeling of shame that they realized they had been living with the consistent feeling of shame in their day-to-day that to suddenly have an experience that made them feel shameful was shocking because they had been so used to having that weight and that feeling constantly that EMDR lifted off of them so that they actually felt shame for the first time that felt unnatural or uncommon to them because they were so fluent in that feeling. Numbed out. Yeah, and... You can target feelings in the body, people with chronic pain that are attached to emotion. If there's like some weird feeling in the stomach and oftentimes we'll start with something that's verbal and then they're like, ah, I got this weird feeling in my shoulder or my stomach and okay, just go with that. And then we'll target that and do the bilateral stimulation and it moves and then it jumps to somewhere else and then it disappears. It's the closest thing to a magic wand that I've experienced. And I know a lot of people in therapy who come to therapy are like, I want the magic wand. We're like, well, we might have something close to that for you. And, you know, people who are who have complex trauma, sometimes it takes a lot longer. But the cool thing about EMTR is that it's quite efficient in terms of reducing the amount of time that you need in in therapy which to some people that's really appealing yeah yeah i'm i love these kind of things make me really really happy and hopeful about science and research and i think we are building great technologies and understanding ourselves now and the world around us mm-hmm. Mm, it's really beautiful. Would you say it's a little more approachable than plant medicine and psychedelics? Yeah, I think it's kind of like the gateway, you know? I think about EMDR as like my hook to get people in to start <laughs> doing wild mind and like eco-psychology. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not versed in facilitating 
plant medicine or anything like that, but there's a lot of cool research around it right now. Mm. In the scientific world, of course, there's people who have been doing it for eons. Um, but I think it, it is a gateway to opening people up to more because they're not walking around with the weight of shame or this trauma. And, you know, I think of the information that we receive, like a delivery truck with files in it. And one island is your short-term memory. And then there's another island that's your long-term memory. And there's a bridge in between. And so if we have a traumatic experience, the truck gets into an accident trying to deliver the information to long-term memory. Mm. And so we end up with this, like, there's files scattered all over the bridge. Things are chaos. Um, and this information just keeps battering us and doesn't get stored properly. So how do you actually go about any self-actualization or doing this other healing work that feels a little bit more superficial, quote unquote, when we have these traumas from our day-to-day -day weighing us down? And so I see EMDR as being that initial stepping stone for a lot of people towards doing some other work that's not deep trauma induced mm -hmm. by yeah. the overculture or whatever experience that was not meant to happen mm -hmm. or maybe it was meant to happen but yeah. yeah and and how i guess there have been studies of what's happening to the brain during this therapy right does it take us to similar processes as meditation I think it's similar to a trance state. Okay. So what we're seeing when we do uh, EEG is that it's activating the amygdala and the hippocampus. So the hippocampus is where our memory is. And so it's allowing things to be reprocessed and stored properly. And also regulating the HPA, the hypothalamus, pituitary, that whole mm -hmm. fight or flight mm -hmm. system. But my experiences with it have been very similar to a trance state or a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Mm. I think it really does get down into the subconscious and allows that critical mind to step aside mm. so we can access some pretty cool things that are deep down and also some things that need to be Reprocessed. Yeah. It's nice to be able to go to a person or a space that provides that in a safe way because there is so many tools out there available to us. Therapy, but also psychedelics, plant medicine, workshops, all the things. But sometimes I feel these tools are so easy to access and we just go try them, but have no guidance. Hmm. So sometimes they work. Sometimes they make us more confused mm -hmm. um, because at the end they are like veal removing. Mm. Uh, and it's hard to see reality as it is. Yeah. And it comes back to the lacking of elder guidance mm. in order to integrate that information you receive. Yeah. And I see, 
I have seen a lot of people that keep going back to ceremony, plant medicine, and seeking, continually seeking and not pausing to integrate that information that they're receiving. And whether it's because they don't know how, mm-hmm. or it's shifting to another addiction in some way, yeah. that constant need to become and to seek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really feel like it comes back to a lacking of a container on the outside where mm-hmm. you feel safe enough to integrate that information. Yeah. And these tools, I think we have to be conscious that they should act as the practitioners do, like we were saying, no, just these are not going to fix you. These are just like a channel. They just come and open the door, you know, but like you have to look at it, understand it, go through it yourself. You're alone inside you and you're the one that has to be doing the work constantly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said like the veil, the pulling Mm. back of the curtain. Mm. And I think we have collectively a great discomfort with being uncomfortable. And it goes back to that instant gratification that we are so used to having that doing that deep shadow work We can be given the information, we can go to ceremony and receive guidance, but a lot of the time, if it means spending time in the dark in the underworld, the archetypal underworld, that's too much. Yeah. And yes, having guidance is important in those times, but also being able to navigate that on your own is really part of many people's journey. You know, it's like the hero's journey. And yeah, we all need one of those once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now that you mentioned ceremonies, I'm thinking that it's so intense when we do it because we're, we're dislocated from this ways of living. Yes. Because I think ceremonies... We were talking about this yesterday. They are so powerful for the subconscious, but since we've been dislocated from these practices, we go into a ceremony now and it's it's just slapping us in the face. It's super hard and it's shocking and we need some time to process, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, See, we're definitely ceremonial beings. and it's nice when we remember that. Hmm. I think that runs parallel to the seeking out a rites of passage mm. and throwing ourselves into difficult experiences, whether we're resourced or not. And oftentimes when we're not resourced, it's like that deeper longing mm. for a difficult experience and for information beyond ourselves and we just don't know how to get to it it runs parallel to the wanting to initiate ourselves in some way to have a soul initiation to find our greater purpose in this world Mm. Um, not knowing how to get there but longing for longing to be slapped in the face with something but then having 
a discomfort with doing the work. Yeah. It's a really difficult cycle that we find ourselves in. Yeah. I think you mentioned that earlier before we started recording, we want to be somewhere else. Like if we felt we're not home and we want to be home, so we're like really, really struggling and pushing and moving and searching, searching, searching all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard. It's hard because if if we don't realize we're already home, it's gonna we're <laughs> we're always gonna keep on searching. Why? It's frustrating. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. And finding true community is yeah. hard. Yeah. Finding generative, healthy people to be in community with is really difficult and and often in a city center. Mm. And we can find nature anywhere for sure, but I think part of us often wants to be in community with the land as well. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned it also in your blog, the community with everything. Uh, with the birds, with the trees, with the earth. Mm -hmm. I think I that's a beautiful way to look at it. And I think there's the need for that with what happened last year with the pandemic and everything and people moving out of cities, you know, and, and starting to build more intentional communities. We're, we're like consciously looking for that more and more and it feels really good to see that mm -hmm. um, it's like we were talking about earlier sometimes you get little hints of things not being right and it's easy to ignore these hints because we're in this like vicious cycle uh, wasting energy like walking in the in the foggy area mm-hmm But then something, you know, like we fall into a big hole in the ground. <laughs> we right. cannot ignore it anymore. Yeah. Hmm. With ourselves, but also with our relationships mm. and how we move around and everything. Mm -hmm. hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Many layers. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting, the evolution of relationships and talking about our own journeys as well. And I know I have evolved through friend groups a lot in my life. And I, I think that's a common thing for a lot of people when we meet somebody else at a certain point in our life and we grow. I think there's a lot of shame attached to outgrowing relationships. Mm, yeah. And I think it's so important to just honor that, yes, the individualistic journey, mm -hmm. um, but also to know when we need to move on and to find other community that meets us where we're at in a more healthy way. Mm. And not to say that everybody you're outgrowing is unhealthy and you're this like upper echelon of health. <laughs> Um, but people change. Yeah. And it's, 
there is no good or bad. It's just finding your resonance. Yeah. Like, who are you tuned with? Mm-hmm. No? And I love that thing that you said about karma earlier and mm. how it's actually about friction mm. and the distribution of energy. And I was just saying to somebody earlier today that, you know, I just don't have energy for that thing anymore. And... um they were like, well, if you had more energy, then you'd be okay with it. I'm like, no, I just, <laughs> no, it's, you know, you gotta be wise with where you spend your energy. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a reckoning and a medicine that I'm, I'm working with now and just being okay with saying, no, that doesn't work yeah. for me. And being really conscious of where I put my energy into. Hmm. And right now it's it's pretty focused on finding land with my friends. Mm. Yeah. Like a piece of land. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Where? Well, I think we're eyeing up Halfa area, mm. but who knows? You know, I think that's one of my greatest things in life right now is to be found by a piece of land and to mm. just be a steward of the land. It's a piece that's missing in my life and... I love San Miguel so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a magical place, but I also feel like there's only so many city walls that I can look at. Yeah. Um, and that there's a greater part of me that's missing some purpose around yeah. investing my energy into a piece of land and being a steward of that land. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the hunt. <laughs> yeah, and also... I guess that at the stage you and your family are in, mm-hmm. I mean, with your partner and your your beautiful baby, mm-hmm. like it's just calling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think, yeah, when I say I'm on the hunt, I guess I want to be hunted. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, finding and planting roots. Um, hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think we need that when we grow up. So it's it's beautiful that you're aiming towards that. Mm-hmm. We all need it. A lot of people don't even realize within we need it to to be mm, rooted mm-hmm. and to feel the seasons mm. in a place. And to change with the seasons. And yes, like we can travel and we can move around and we're not, we're not going to stop doing that. Um, mm-hmm. but that it's one of the tricky things about the moment we live in and how easy it is to travel, to move around, you know, like, um, it comes at a cost, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we not always see that cost reflecting immediately in our lives on our our environment but it's always there Uh, but it's one of the tricky things you know like it's super easy to move to rent places in different situations to work in different countries but we need ground and we need to nurture the ground and protect land and the land will embrace us Mm -hmm. um Yeah. I mean, most of my 
pivotal experiences through receiving wisdom and moving towards my practice as a therapist have come from giving back to the land in some way. Mm. And yeah, my greatest healing journey is, or the greatest moments in my journey, it's definitely not over, but have come from being on the land. Mm. And I'm very privileged to be able to split my time between here in Mexico and in Canada and British Columbia, where my parents still own this chunk of land that I grew up on. And so I still have access to this beautiful land. Mm. And we're going back there, which seems interesting to be going back to Canada for winter (laughs) when often people are coming here into Mexico for the warm weather for the winter season. And I was kind of like shaking my head at myself for doing this, moving back to Canada for the winter. But I missed out on a couple seasons when we were here for the last year and having our baby here. And something felt really off inside of me having missed winter and kind of felt like we missed summer too. We've been in like this perpetual spring, (laughs) which is gorgeous. I love spring, but there's something, my equilibrium feels really off. So I think it's going to be a bit of a reset. Yeah. Um, And there's something that winter elicits in people and going down into that archetypal underworld is part of it. Mm. And I think there's time that needs to be spent in this place of stillness. You know, this time where our ancestors sat around a fire sharing stories and wisdom and where we really quiet our bodies and move slower and eat heartier foods. Mm. I missed out on that and it felt really weird coming from a place of very distinct four seasons yeah. to being in this like endless cycle of yeah. spring. Yeah. I think it's it can be done because obviously there's people living in this perpetual season <laughs> places all over, but because of our energy not being infinite we need these cycles and sometimes we need them to be forced into us, like the changing seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the things that are not so nice about like easy traveling these days. Um, I think it's hard to acknowledge the cycles when you're moving around and it, it dislocates us from ourselves and from the land. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And it goes back to feeling like a child running around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're able to just do whatever it is you want, that instant gratification. And I don't know. I don't want to say like people need to experience the seasons and they need to go through these cycles in their lives. But I think there's really something profound that happens in us. And we've obviously evolved out of this place of living with the seasons and harvesting food and cycles and that life, death, life cycle. That if we remove that, 
like I like I've been feeling something feels off mm. and life is meant to be lived in those cycles yes. and those seasons yeah also I'm gonna be super honest San Miguel de Allende is a tricky place it's beautiful I love it here um it's it has given me so much um but I think it's a tricky place I think it's a place that lacks purpose and is very focused in a fake vision of limitless resources mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's it hurts yeah and that's why it's hard to be here sometimes yeah. i've been talking about this with a few friends here uh it's hard mm -hmm. it's hard But also, it makes things like the nice connections that you do. Mm -hmm. They are amazing and beautiful and fluent. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a tricky place, so don't don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> You're not alone. Yes. yes, I mean it's interesting. I've met some of the most beautiful people in my life here. I mean, case in point, with dinner last night, yeah. there was just a collection of some really beautiful souls around some burning candles and yeah. beautiful conversations. And also, yes, the water table here is not happy. Mm. And people do act like there's limitless resources, whether that is yeah. earth-based resources. Well, I suppose they all are. Financial. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. It's a hedonistic place, 1,000%. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a collection of these souls here that have met and are doing some really cool things and are having a bit of a reckoning with why it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I have this struggle in my mind that I've been having for like a long time about, you know, like the privileged people having more responsibility just because they're privileged or we are privileged. Um, but also, can it be balanced? Can we really use this privilege to balance things? Hmm. Or is it just an illusion? You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I maybe... It's, there's never going to be an answer, but I like to tell myself that, for example, traveling, I'm enriching myself with different cultures and ideas and things and mm -hmm. moving them around. Um, so I don't feel that bad about traveling and the, the footprint that has mm -hmm. on the planet. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It really is tricky, and I think the the question lies in what are we doing with our privilege, mm. and how are we making that privilege or the information available, the privilege available? Um, how are we making change? How are we offering the information that we're sharing? How are we going to distribute that in a way that makes greater change happen? Yeah. 
And so obviously there's a bit of a melting pot that's happening here and a collecting of souls. Um, but what are we going to do with that? Yeah. And I think that's a really important question. Yeah. Talking about San Miguel de Allende, this is a hedonistic place. Can there be such a thing as like democratic hedonism? You know, like if there really is abundance, mm. why is there people in need mm -hmm. if, if there really is abundance? But because maybe like I build a house and inside these four walls, there is infinite abundance. Um, but outside of these walls, there's people hurting and having difficult times and being born into challenging and choiceless situation. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I like to believe there is a way. I do as well. Yeah. But it definitely, it's difficult to look out at the landscape and think that people are even questioning that. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether that thought is on their mind. And I wonder if part of that is healing that can be done to allow them to open that heart center to what is more and belonging to something greater than the myopic experience. Yeah. People can't be happy. Hmm. I mean, I say that, but we often hear about It doesn't matter how much money you have or how many things, they might not be happy, you know, and the little things yeah. are what make people full. Mm. And I think it comes back to belonging to something greater than yourself and being generative and giving back to your community. Yeah. And not just as a way to show face, Hmm. Yeah. Not just throwing money at the thing, you know, like actually I be, present. be present. I want to say like, shut up and do the work, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's easy for people to just throw money at things and not really truly dig in deep, yeah. do the healing work and offer something more of themselves yeah. to the world around them. Yeah. Yeah, when we finally step down of this like fantasy and connect with what's around us, that's when the gifts start coming. Um, because we all want to be connected with the community, but like you said on your article, like the trees, the like humans, birds, the earth, rivers. So like this earth community and when being dislocated i think we we're just trying to accumulate things that give us a fake feeling of this connection yes so i need more money in my bank account and that's why i need a bigger house no so that people are happy with it and they come and i feel loved but it's, it's like a castle of smoke mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so beautiful what you said. Mm. 
Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I go back to thinking about the little snippet that you read from the blog post and how it brought tears to my eyes thinking about the world that we're living Mm. in. And it's not the world that I want Levi to grow up in. Mm. Yeah. It's, I don't know what it's going to take to overhaul the system. Yeah. But it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. But I do keep coming back to really believing that, yes, we need to do individual work to create greater community change. And it sounds so simple, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so not simple. But I mean, it takes your son to create the world your son needs. Mm. I'm having like cool parents like you. Oh, <laughs> cool mom. Cool mom. Cool dad. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so, yeah. so, so fortunate yeah. and also so motivated. Yeah. And, and I think that's in our DNA. And also if you go like more in a more like cosmic, um, perspective it's also in like another bigger mission to just evolve towards that but it's just so hard to to see this temple mm. that we will never see why no yeah and just believe that it's it's worth it to just build something mm. not knowing whether you're gonna see it at, yeah. at its finish point yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Jess. You're so welcome. This was beautiful. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate your time and your presence. You made me feel really comfortable here. Mm, I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. That was Jessica Rita. If you wish to find out more about her practice or wish to get in touch with her, please follow the links on the show notes of this episode. In today's Poetry Forest, Virginia Vigliar shares with us, I am made of hills, written by herself. I am made of hills, my intestines curved like the strings of a violin when it's pulled too hard. My body is weighed down by my heart when I am blue, but for the life of me, it's not because of you. My chest is a meadow and it goes through seasons. Every month I am discovered again. At times, the hills become mountains that are hard to climb. Other times, I adore my mind with flowers and see myself clearly. Traveling this journey, I have found that the beauty within exists in parallel with the beauty that's outside. They happen at the same time. There is a bridge at the end of my brain that goes to my heart. It is under construction. Soldiers are building shields around my pumping veins.
There is a silent rebellion going on at the center of my lungs. The soldiers of the heart are getting ready for defense. I am largely exposed, perhaps afraid. The weight at the center of my chest, it shortens my breath when I think of love. But they sit there, calm, and they begin cleaning my guns with flour, polishing my bullets with compassion. I am light. Then my mind makes me heavy. All of the continent that is my body is connected by an invisible line, now visible to me. I Am Made of Hills was written by Virginia Vigliar. Please follow the links on the show notes of this episode and support her inspiring work. We Walk the Earth is a Nautilab original and is produced by me, Sergio Isauro. The music in this episode was produced by Tejedor. Poetry Forest by Virginia Vigliar. Editing by Miguel Andrade. Mixing by Aldo Leiva. Executive Production by Jorge González. If you like this podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify or any of your preferred platforms. This will help us keep going, creating and igniting curiosity in more people. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time.